Welcome to Living in the Light with Bible teacher Ann Graham Lotz. Everybody today is telling us, build up your self-esteem. Go to a counselor, go to a therapist, go to a psychiatrist, read this book, read this magazine, build up your self-esteem. You've got to feel that you're somebody and, and actually the Bible teaches the opposite. Thanks for joining us today and every week for Living in the Light, the Bible teaching ministry of Ann Graham Lotz. We're continuing in a series on the Holy Spirit with part one of Ann's message, The Holy Spirit, His Problem, Your Self-Esteem. Self-esteem quenches the spirit, and Ann will remind us today to be ever vigilant against it. Let's join her now. So as we begin in Romans chapter seven, I would like to share with you a story that you may have great use for, and it's how to catch monkeys. And I know you may be wanting to catch monkeys, and I'm not sure there are any in these trees, but if you want to catch a monkey, you should go to a jungle where there are some, and then you make a clearing, and in that clearing you want to dig a hole. And in the hole you take a bottle that's larger at the base than at the neck, so it has a small neck or mouth or opening, and then a large base, and you put a banana inside the bottle. And then you put the bottle in the hole and you pack the dirt around the bottle so just the mouth of the jar is flush with the surface of the ground and, and your banana is inside the jar, it's all buried in the ground and then you go hide behind a bush. And so when you're hiding behind a bush, pretty soon a little monkey will come along and he'll sniff around and, and he'll smell a banana somewhere in the area. And pretty soon his little sniffer will take him to that hole in the ground and he'll sniff in the hole and, and then he'll realize there's a banana in there so he'll stick his hand in the jar and he'll feel around and you'll find the banana and he grabs hold of the banana and voila you've caught yourself a monkey because the fist over the banana is too big to come out the mouth of the jar and the monkey won't let go of the banana so there you've got this little monkey and his little hind legs just flailing and he's jumping up and down and he's screaming and he says I want to be what monkeys are supposed to be which is free and I want to do what monkeys are supposed to do which is jump through the trees and and I'm stuck I can't be free, I want to be free, and I'm not, I'm bound. You got yourself a monkey because he won't let go of his banana. What's your banana? Maybe it's a habit of sin that you won't let go of. Maybe it's a relationship you won't let go of. Maybe it's an attitude of resentment or bitterness. Maybe you're even offended at God because he's allowed something to come into your life that you don't understand. And What is your banana? In other words, your banana is that which you cling to, you would let everything else go, and then you grab onto that and say, Lord, not this. I'll give you everything, just not this. Whatever this is, is your banana. It's the thing that's keeping you from being free in the Christian life. You may have a bunch of bananas, but when you let go of all of those other bananas, there's going to be one left, and I would expect this is the last one that you let go of, and it's the banana of your self-esteem. And one reason we don't let go of our self-esteem is because we don't know it's a banana. Everybody today is telling us, build up your self-esteem. In fact, if you feel like you have low self-esteem, people say, well, go to a counselor, go to a therapist, go to a psychiatrist, read this book, read this magazine, build up your self-esteem. You've got to feel that you're somebody. And, and actually, the Bible teaches the opposite that you've got to let go of your self-esteem before you can experience real victory in the Christian life, before you can experience the power that comes from a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit overflowing into the lives of others. What do I mean by self-esteem? I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary, and Webster's defines it as holding yourself in high regard. 
or holding a favorable opinion of yourself. And the self-esteem I'm speaking of is not so much like if you were fixing dinner tonight and you made this gorgeous apple pie that looked like it came out of Southern Living and tasted even as good as it looked. And you served it to your company and everybody oohed and odd and said, what a wonderful cook you are. And you think, yeah, I am a good cook. And that's not the kind of self-esteem I'm speaking of. That's just pride. <laughs> and that's a whole other subject. <laughs> and self-esteem I'm thinking of is spiritual self-esteem. Who you think you are before God and who you think you can be before God. So it's sort of a spiritual pride. What you think you can be as far as a Christian is concerned. Some of you are still thinking that you can be a Christian. That's the kind of self-esteem I'm talking about. That's the self-esteem that's your banana that you cling to. I've had women in my class at home, they don't want to even receive Christ and make a commitment to live for him if they feel there's the least bit of chance they'll fail. I had one woman who tried for five years to be a Christian without being a Christian because <laughs> she didn't want to commit her life to Christ until she knew she could do it. I told her she had the whole thing backwards. She'd never be able to live the Christian life without receiving Christ into her life. But we have the same feeling. We don't want to admit our failure. Somehow in our hearts, in our minds, in our psychological makeup, we want to convince ourselves that we can be a Christian, we can live the Christian life if we just find the right key. And Paul in Romans chapter 7 is battling with his self-esteem. 37 times in Romans chapter 7 you find the personal pronoun I or me. It's all the way through Romans chapter 7. He is battling with letting go his self-esteem. So let's begin as you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. In verses 1 to 13, we see him battling with letting go who he thinks he is before God. Now, what is your opinion of yourself before God? Who do you think you are in God's sight? Well, Paul begins in the first six verses, and he says, I know in God's sight I'm saved. And he uses that illustration of marriage. I would like to put Paul's illustration into my own words to help make it a little clearer for you. But there was a woman who married a man that was very tyrannical, very demanding. And so he demanded that she fix his breakfast a certain way. He wanted his toast browned and buttered going to the edges. He wanted it cut in triangles with the crust taken off. He wanted his eggs poached and no little runny white. He wanted three strips of bacon very crisp. He wanted his coffee piping hot and his orange juice freshly squeezed. And he wanted it on the table at 7.30 in the morning. Not a second later, not a second earlier. And no matter how much she tried and did it exactly the way he said he was always criticizing the breakfast that she brought him never was good enough never was at the right time on top of that he wanted her to keep the house perfectly she had six children under six and he didn't ever want to see a sticky fingerprint on the window he never wanted to see a toy out of place he never wanted to see dirty clothes anywhere or smell a dirty diaper and and no matter how hard she tried to keep the house clean every night when he came home he was always finding fault with her housekeeping and then she had all the laundry to do. And he would never let her send the sheets out to the laundry or, or his shirts out. And he wanted her to do his shirts. And he didn't want the shirt itself starched, but he wanted the collar starched. And he didn't want any little creases that the iron left. And, and on top of that, he wanted his underwear ironed. And <laughs> you get the picture. And he was never pleased with the way she did his laundry. So she did everything he said. And he was very demanding, but in her heart, she was very rebellious. She couldn't stand it. She just hated it. And then would you believe one day the old guy died? And she wore a black veil to the funeral to hide her glee. 
he died and soon after she married somebody else. She married husband number two and husband number two was wonderful. Husband number two just loved her, thought she was terrific, loved the way she cooked, loved the way she cleaned, loved the way she did his laundry and, and he told her, by the way, you've got so much to do, just send your laundry out. But she found herself wanting to do his shirts and she ironed his underwear and, and she found herself buttering his toast and cutting it in triangles and fixing the crisp bacon and poaching the egg and squeezing the orange juice and the coffee and right at 7.30 and, and found herself carrying a rag around the house to just polish up the window panes and, and throwing the toys under the chairs and making everything just as orderly as she could. She found herself doing for husband number two everything she did for husband number one except now the motivation was from love. She was excited about doing it because he loved her so and she loved him. And Paul says that illustrates my relationship with God. Do you see, before I was saved, my impression of God was that he's my husband number one. And he had all of these lists of demands and all of these expectations. And I couldn't stand it. On the outside, I did what God said and I kept God's law and I read my Bible every day and I prayed every day and I went to church every week on Sunday morning and I went to church Sunday night and I went to church Wednesday night and I sang in the choir and I met with men's fellowship and I was on a committee and served on the board of deacons and I hated it because I was doing the whole thing to please God and God was never pleased. In fact, I talked to a woman back home who was raised in a, a church that's known for its regulations and rules and, and she said that before her salvation, she had tried so hard to please God and finally decided he was just too hard to please, thank you, and she wasn't going to have anything more to do with him. So she left the Lord and she drew her family away from him for years. She lived a godless life because she was so tired of trying to please him and she sensed in her heart he was never pleased. And so Paul said, that was my relationship with God. And then I met Jesus. And Jesus is like husband number two. And it's not that God died, but it was Paul's impression of God died. And all of a sudden he finds in Christ that he's accepted by God, that God loves him, that God's pleased with him, that God just enjoys fellowship with him. And, and Paul said, now I find myself reading my Bible and praying and going to church every time the door is open and serving the Lord. All the things I used to try to do for God and yet hated, now I love to do because I'm motivated by my love for the Lord and His love for me. I know I've been saved. Can you say the same thing? Can you point to a time in your life when maybe you knew God like husband number one and then you found Christ and you fell in love with Jesus at salvation and He's husband number two to you. He loves you, you're aware of His love for you and you want to learn how to serve Him effectively and bear fruit for Him. You want to be filled up so you can overflow and your motivation is to please Him and, and to bring joy to His heart because you love Him so much. Paul says, who do I think I am before God? I know I am saved. And then somebody invited me to Sunday school and somebody invited me to church. I've been saved and then somebody said, Paul, what you need to do is to get into the scriptures. If you're really going to grow in your faith, and if you're really going to put your roots down, you need to get into a Bible study or you need to get to Sunday school. And, and Paul said, oh yeah, I want to do that. I mean, I love the Lord and I want to make sure that I live a life that's pleasing to him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll be obedient. And therefore, you've got to know my commands. And Paul said, oh, I want to get into the Bible. I want to know his commands so I can be obedient, so I can express my love for him. And, and so Paul said, he went to his first Bible study and it wasn't what he expected. Everybody said it would be so wonderful. It was the worst experience of his life. What shall we say then in verse 7? Is, and I'm just going to substitute the word Bible study for law to help you. Or Sunday school. Maybe we'll do Sunday school. Is Sunday school sin? 
Is it bad for me? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through Sunday school, through my study of the scriptures. I wouldn't have known what it was to covet if I hadn't gone to Sunday school and our Bible study that morning had revealed that you are not to covet. In other words, he got into Bible study, he got into Sunday school, and the first thing that happened was that his study of the scriptures revealed that although he was saved, he was still sinning, and he was still a sinner. It revealed the sin in his life. Obviously, Paul had a, a difficulty with the sin of covetousness, and coveting is wanting something that God doesn't want you to have, and you want it even in your heart, and that's coveting. And so Paul had difficulty with the sin of coveting, and he says, I wouldn't even have known that coveting was a sin, except I went to Sunday school and got into a Bible study and, and studied the scriptures that it might be revealed to me. Now wonder what you did, what sin you committed before salvation, or before you got into Sunday school or, or Bible study. In fact, let me back up. What was the first Bible study you ever got into? The first time you ever really studied the scriptures? And when you got into the scriptures, what did the scriptures reveal about yourself you hadn't previously known? What sin in your life was revealed? You didn't even know that worry was a sin until you got into the scriptures. Didn't know that gossip was a sin until you got into the scriptures. Didn't know that losing your temper, impatience, unkindness, jealousy. You didn't know those were sins. You thought of sins as murder and adultery and all these big things and, and didn't realize that you're committing all these little sins every moment of every day. And you come into your study of the scriptures and the first thing that happens is that the scriptures reveal the sin in your life. And it's not a good feeling, especially if you had thought you were saved and now were a saint, <laughs> that you were saved and somehow would no longer sin. I think I'm going to tell this story right. I've told it for years and I love it and I probably made it up as I went along, but at some point in Mother and Daddy's life, F. Lee Bailey, who was a, an interesting interviewer, asked if he could interview them at the home in Montreat across the valley. He was doing a television special on them, and so Mother and Daddy agreed. About two weeks before Effley Bailey came to the house, Mother got a team of people to come in to clean the house so that when all the television cameras came and everything, the house would look good. And so she had a team coming in there to polish the windows and wax the floors and dust everything. And I mean, the old log cabin just sparkled. And so the day came for Effley Bailey to, to come up to the house, and she was very confident and brought him in the front door. And, he came and set up in the living room, so they had these huge television cameras and the lights and all the cables running across the floor. And, and so he was going to seat mother and daddy on the sofa and he would sit in a chair and then he would ask them questions. So they're going over some of the questions that he would ask while the cameramen set up. And finally the director said, all right, so we're ready. And Effie Bailey asked mother and daddy, are you ready? And they said, yes. And so the director said, all right, lights, camera, action. Mother was very confident because her house looked so pretty and she knew what the questions were going to be. And, and then the lights came on. And she said you could even see dust in the air. <laughs> her, I thought it was little cobwebs in the creases that she hadn't seen. And under ordinary lighting, her house had looked spotless. But you turn on those intense television lights and you see dirt and cobwebs that you didn't even know had been there. You see, the scriptures are like those intense television lights. What cobwebs have they revealed in your life that you didn't even know were there until you got into God's Word? Little cobwebs of sin, little dust bunnies hiding in the corners and, and you find out through your study of the scriptures that although you're saved, you're still sinning. You're still a sinner. So Paul said, I know in God's sight I'm saved, but my study of the scriptures has revealed that I'm still sinning. At least Paul had the courage to face his sin. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And, and when Jesus told him and in telling him pointed out the sin in the rich young ruler's life, 
he turned and walked away. He refused to confront the sin in his life. Now what sin has the scripture revealed in your life? And are you like Paul in that you're willing to face it? Or are you like the rich young ruler in that you would turn away? Rather than confront it and admit that although saved, you're still sinning, you would turn away from it and just pretend that everything's all right. Paul didn't pretend. He confronted the fact that the scriptures revealed that he still sinned, but it got worse. In verses 8 and 9, not only did his Bible study reveal his sin, but it revived his sin. In verse 8, sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the Bible study, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Apart from my Bible study, sin was sort of dormant in my life. It just lay there and I didn't think about it and I didn't get involved in it. Once I was alive apart from Bible study and I seemed to live a pretty good life. But when I got into Bible study, sin sprang to life and I died. In other words, he came into study of the scriptures, found out that coveting was a sin, so the, the scriptures revealed his sin, and when it revealed the sin of coveting and that he should not be coveting, that made him want to covet. Have you ever left a Bible study feeling like that? And it's been pointed out to you that gossip is a sin and you should not gossip, and the first thing you want to do when you go out the door is gossip. <laughs> or you know that being impatient with your children is wrong and you go home and, and they do something you don't like and you just let fly. And there's something about knowing what you're supposed to do that makes you want to do the opposite. You walk through the mall and they've freshly painted a, a wall or a door and it says wet paint, do not touch. You see all the sticky fingerprints in it? <laughs> there's just something about being told do not do something that makes you want to do it. So Paul said, it's getting worse because not only has my Bible study revealed my sin, it has revived my sin. And Paul began to lose the joy of his salvation. He wanted to live a life pleasing to God. He wanted to live a life of victory. He wanted to have a life of power and be filled up to overflow. And the more he tried, the worse it got. He wasn't filling up, he was emptying out. And the frustration began. I don't know if you've ever gone on a diet. I know when I go on a diet, you know, you're told you can't eat certain things, and I got like a diet that just lays out for you your menu so that I can just eat just exactly what it says and nothing else. But when it says I am to eat this and not to eat that, even though I don't like this stuff on the list I'm not to eat, that's what I want. You ever do that and, and you check out at the grocery store and all those candy bars there? I never eat candy bars. I don't like candy bars until I'm on a diet and I know I can't have one. And then it's the candy bar that I crave. And Paul says, not only has my sin been revealed, it's been revived. When I'm told not to do something, I want to do it. When I'm told to do something, I don't want to do it. And sin is revived in my life. And then it results in verses 10 and 11. I found that the very Bible study that was intended to bring me to victory and power and life actually brought death, deep discouragement and depression because sin seizing the opportunity afforded by my Bible study deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. Deep sorrow for sin, discouragement, depression. Do you know that kind of discouragement? You've come into Bible study, you're studying the scriptures, you're coming to Sunday school and church and you're wanting to live a life pleasing to God and the more you want to, the more you fail. And the more you get into the scriptures, the more you feel, well, you'll just never measure up to a King David or to an Abraham or to a Paul or to a Peter, and you'll never measure up to the other people in the Bible study. And, and the scriptures have revealed the sin that's in your life, and it produces a sorrow that death and discouragement and defeat 
And then in verses 12 to 13, so then Bible study is holy, and my study of the scriptures is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become discouragement to me? By no means. But this is necessary in order that sin might be recognized as sin. And it produced discouragement in me through what was good so that through the Bible study, sin might become utterly sinful to me. If you listen to some of these television programs and the late night talk shows and stuff, they acknowledge sin and they'll talk about it, but it's a joke to them. They make fun of it or they call it an alternate lifestyle or they say it's a weakness or a mistake or something that's hereditary that you get from your parents or they say it's because of your environment or it's because of your economic situation or your lack of education. They don't name it for sin. And Paul says, I have gone through this. Sin has been revealed and it's been revived. And one thing that has resulted is deep sorrow and shame for the sinfulness of sin in my life. Do you know the sinfulness of sin? You get into the scriptures and it reveals to you the righteousness of Christ and what God wants from each one of us and then we begin to see ourselves and how far we fall short of that and even the smallest sin begins to make us sick and we can't stand it and it becomes intolerable and we're discovering not only the seriousness but the sinfulness of the sin in our lives who do you think you are in God's sight Paul says I can testify I'm saved but I'm still a sinner does that surprise anybody here? Did you think once you were saved, somehow you would change? Did you think once you were saved, you could be different? It's an awesome, mind-blowing truth when you grab hold of it, that salvation makes no difference in yourself. In your salvation, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and you have the life of Christ within you, but yourself is the same. You haven't changed at all. I mean, you can rehabilitate the self and you can dress it up and do all sorts of things, but it's still the same sinful self. Nothing has changed. Let me try to show you. When you are physically born into the human race, you are born with a tendency to sin within. And when you are born into the human race, you look something like this. You have emotions, which is the E stands for. You have your intellect, which is your mind. You have your will and the decisions that you make. But when you're born into the human race, because we are children of Adam and Eve, daughters of Eve, sons of Adam, we have born within us a tendency to sin. So that although babies are perfectly innocent, no sin at all, you let them get enough age on them and you give them a choice, they will choose to sin because they have that tendency, that strong bias to sin within. And the Bible says if you've ever committed one sin, your whole body, your whole life is guilty of sin. You are a sinner. One sin indicates that your body is riddled with the disease of sin. Rachel Ruth came to me one night when she was about nine, and, and she said, Mommy, she said, something has bitten me. So she pulled up her shirt and showed me, and sure enough, she had a little bite on her stomach. So I looked around in her shirt, and I didn't see anything, and I said, well, it's all right, Rachel. Ruth said, whatever it was is gone now. And about five minutes later, she said, Mommy, he said, he's bitten me again. So I pulled up her shirt, and there was another little bite, and I took the shirt off this time and I looked all over and, and I couldn't find anything and I said well Rachel Ruth maybe it's a little spider or a mosquito and whatever it is is gone now so it's all right and I put her shirt back on a few minutes later she came back and said mommy he's bitten me all over I pulled up her shirt and she had the chicken pox <laughs> but that first spot indicated her body was riddled with a disease that just hadn't broken out yet 
And some of us are more spotty than others when it comes to sin. But if you've ever committed one sin, if the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then the greatest sin is to not love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you've ever not loved the Lord your God like that, one moment out of one day, out of all of the years of your life, you've sinned. And you add that up, that's just a lot of sin in that one area. Plus you've got a lot of other sins, and so we're maybe a little bit spottier than we think. So the spots are the sin in your life. You are born with a tendency to sin. All of us are physically born sinners. Living in the Light is a weekly study in God's Word with teacher and author Ann Graham Lotz. Learn to listen to His voice. Then start making the choice to keep on going and believing and trusting who God is. Go to anngramlotz.org. Take advantage of the many helpful free resources to get you started. Join us again for Living in the Light.